Greetings, my nerds, and welcome to the Northwest Nerd Podcast, where we cover pop culture, science, and technology with a Pacific Northwest focus. My name is Nick Jarin. And I am Dire Action Danger Legend Oxley. I'm actually going to use that from now on. Uh, on today's show, uh, we have the the news section. Since this is a magazine episode, we'll talk a little bit about some changes coming to Rotten Tomatoes to curb some of the trolling going on there. Uh, we will also get into, we never do this, but we're going to talk about a famous person's AMA on Reddit because it's Bill Gates, local guy, obviously very rich, but he spent an, an amazing amount of time talking about what makes him happy, and we found that very fascinating, along with the shows on Netflix that he watches. Also, we're just back from Wizard World in Portland, so we'll talk about uh, what we saw there, some of our impressions, kind of uh, report from the con. And then after the news, we will get into the uh, the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League. Sometimes it stands for Action, Danger, Legend, as uh, Dyer foreshadowed there in, uh, in his Sometimes interview. my middle name. <laughs> Sometimes he has three middle names. Uh, the Anti-Defamation League has these game jams, these hackathons, where they have people come in and make uh, video games or maybe a tabletop game or a card game based around um, fighting hate, basically, because they're the Anti-Defamation League. And Dyer was at one of these events and got to talk to the people making them and how they got involved. And you'd be surprised by how many people are not from like the game industry or like programming industry at all when they get into these things. And I found the scene there incredibly interesting. So that's coming up after the news, which is coming up right now now all right Dyer let's get into the news this week up first I think we got to talk about this Captain Marvel fiasco that hit uh, Rotten Tomatoes so for as long as we've had the internet People have been railing against feminists and pretty much any type of person who cares about uh, inclusion or representation. Which wouldn't be a problem if they wouldn't stop taking our rights <laughs> and our red pills. And I don't. They take our red pills, right? Is that how that goes? No, I think the they're taking our blue. They pills. They took the red pills. Okay. And then now, now they've seen and they're hogging all of the pills. I don't know. Your That's red how pill feminism works. Messing me up. But anyway. Anyway, go on. <laughs> um, so uh, as as the internet is wont to do, um, the trolls descended upon Captain Marvel reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and decided to uh, just tank as much of the, basically the fan vote portion of it, the, the want to see meter. Similar things have happened to other movies. Can you think of any off the top of your head? Uh, Last Jedi? Was it the most recent one that we Last just Jedi, had? Last Jedi, yeah. So, that definitely yeah. happened to that one. Yeah, there yeah. was a whole like basically online harassment campaign for that one. Uh, great pull. I didn't even I didn't even I'm give you any time to keep prepare that for in that. mind because uh, in a second here I'm going to call back to that. I didn't actually know this about Rotten Tomatoes, but there's some things other than the tomato meter on there. So the tomato <laughs> meter is the one that everyone knows that's based off of like aggregated uh, critics reviews and put critics in quotation marks there because some of them are uh, more respected Us. than others. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we're aggregated into Rotten Tomatoes. I'm not on. I'm not on Rotten Tomatoes, okay, yeah. but yeah, I know but how like, it works. When there's nine, oh, when there's over 900 official reviews on something, you know that a good portion of those are from people right. you probably don't respect well, as writers or reviewers. That's why they have a certain like vetted level for critics, and then they have like the audience score. Yeah, you know, so you can, and which is always interesting to watch which one actually 
you know, is higher than the other one. They don't always line up. But anyway. Yeah. Critics could hate something, but the audience might love it. Exactly. Um, because it might be a good crash em up. Yeah. Uh, who knows? So um, what happened to the uh, the fan vote one is that it's been targeted by trolls a couple times. So Rotten Tomatoes has decided to change that. And they announced what, Dyer? I'm just going to read strictly from their blog here. Uh, they're, they're doing a few changes. And if you scroll down in this little mention, it says, we are disabling, I'm quoting here, by the way, you can't see my air quotes. We are disabling the comment function prior to a movie's release date. Unfortunately, we have seen an uptick in non-consecutive input, sometimes bordering on trolling, which it's trolling. Non-consecutive? Non, non-constructive there input. We go. Sorry, I'm reading on my phone. Uh, and they believe this is a disservice to their general readership, yada, yada, yada. They said, don't worry. If you're fans, you'll still have a chance to have a say. Uh, once the movie is released, they turn the function back on. Uh, the theory is that prior to the film, people are purposely tanking a film uh, unfairly. I was almost afraid to say this. Like, I might, like, tick people off by saying this, but I'm kind of skeptical of the people that are tanking these scores. Because if you remember, if you remember back to the Last Jedi, mm-hmm. um, there was a report that came out where they studied all the users who t- tanked that score, and they were pretty certain that the whole bunch of them were bots, mm-hmm. um, and that they weren't sure like how big the influence was. It could be negligible or whatever, but they know that they were there and they were purposely doing it. And this this news isn't necessarily news. Uh, the the whole tomato meter change that's that's news but a couple weeks ago when first people first started noticing captain marvel was tanking and nobody had seen the film yet i went on rotten tomatoes and i started looking at these people's profiles and as far as i can tell i would say like four out of five had like no background like Mm. those those accounts new accounts they were new or they were old accounts but had no activity for months or years and then this is the thing that suddenly pops up i don't just picturing like an older person just like cracking their knuckles over their keyboard like (laughs) oh this is the one now i get it i made this account so long ago for this or i don't know if they can't i don't i'm not as familiar with how the bots work but if if, you know maybe they do make account the bots just have like a pre-made line that says you know men's rights or something and they just plug it in and then they put down the tomato meter and then that's what they do. But I looked at a lot of these ones and I was highly skeptical. It, 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 it felt like those when you get someone following you on uh, Twitter mm. and it's obviously not a real person. Egg people? Yes, that's what it felt like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know what that means. Uh, I, I, I feel like people people are, I think it's a good thing that Rotten Tomatoes is doing this. I hope that people look further into those accounts, maybe like I did, and maybe realize that maybe these aren't real people being as disgusting as you think they are. I think somebody is out there with the intent of of causing, like... Making it seem like more voices than they really are. Exactly, and they're looking to cause a stir. They're trying to cause some kind of, uh, you know... Well, they're trolling. I guess that's the... I mean, that's the name is there for, but, like... Yeah, yeah I couldn't find a... I said maybe, like, four out of five were not actual. You can tell we've reached a completely different place culturally with online forums because if this had happened like I don't know 10 years ago maybe even 5 years ago Uh there would have been like outcry about free speech and like anonymity on the internet must be protected because it's the only way that we can all speak our truth and not worry about repercussions or whatever and now we've all seen the cost of that Yeah, and I feel like generally 
people will see this news and be like, yeah, good. Shut them out. Destroy that's, those accounts. Like, yeah, we don't need that garbage. That's not a real discourse. That's the kind of give and take is because um, I can kind of argue it from both sides because on one hand, there is kind of like the American tradition of free speech. On the other hand, not on a, someone's website. I'm sorry. That's that technically you're a guest on someone's, I don't know, quote unquote, private property of sorts. I mean, somebody else owns the website. They can pick and choose whatever the heck they want to put on that thing, including your comments. Yeah. So they do have, I mean, this is the debate that you have on Twitter, right? Like Twitter wants to be all free speechy and, you know, you can, you can have nudity on Twitter and all that. But at the same time, folks are kind of like, yeah, but there, there's got to be a line somewhere, right? And with, it seems like Rotten Tomatoes has found their line mm-hmm. for this. I'm for it. Yeah. I think that this is a great line. And you can tell that, like, the tanking score from the audience on Captain Marvel is pretty fake because the uh, a Fandango spoke per- spokesperson came out this week and told Sci-Fi Wire that Captain Marvel pre-sales are through the roof. Right. It's, it's outpacing Aquaman. And uh, specifically, this uh, Fandango managing editor, Eric Davis... Uh, talked to Sci-Fi Wire, and he said that when you compare it to other origin stories, which I think is fair because it's not really fair to say, like, is this selling as well as, like, Avengers right. 1, 2, or 3, which had so much more built-in story and fandom beforehand. Uh, the only superhero origin story that it hasn't beaten out in pre-sales is Black Panther. That means, like, you're Deadpool, Wonder Woman, right. Ant-Man, whoever, Doctor Strange, beating all of those in pre-sales. Like, this thing is already going to be a hit, and... Well, I, I think that when when people like Rotten Tomatoes, who see a lot of this data and like track box office pretty closely among their other websites and stuff like that, when you see this data compared with the uh, the audience score going down like it yeah. was, then you can clearly see that one is a targeted campaign and the money is behind this mm-hmm. thing, which is much more real than what you're saying. Like newly created accounts or like blank looking accounts that are right. suddenly very active on this particular film. Well, I already got my tickets for it. I know that. So I'm contributing to that. Um, (laughs) And it seems to me that this should be a data point that wouldn't be that hard to incorporate into your system. You know, they have kind of like an excited to see Mm. meter. That's what they're kind of canceling, I guess, right now. Um, But you could factor in pre-movie sales and, you know, things like that or buzz or, you know, genuine critics. You can kind of factor out a score from that. Well, Um, I think that... I think that the problem here is that Rotten Tomatoes kind of has mission creep because the only part of Rotten Tomatoes I actually care about is the tomato meter. Yeah. I don't look at these other ones. I don't care what like regular people have to say about this stuff. Like I want to hear from, I want to see the score, take it with a grain of salt and then decide for myself whether or not I want to see this movie. Most (laughs) people out there don't care what people have to like say randomly on the internet when it comes to um, movies. We we already know what's going to happen. Someone's going to say it's good. Someone's going to say it's bad. Someone's going to blame it on Obama. And then somehow Hitler's going to factor in. So Mm. that's essentially the conversation for everything on the internet. when you get all four of those in the same one, I believe that's a bingo. That's a bingo. (laughs) Got to use that free space, though. And that's a perfect... Uh, speaking of bingo... <laughs> oh, wow. Then you're going to love GeekWire Bash. Uh, and this is Bash. the last time I think we get a chance to hype this. We have a code, NWNERD15. Use it to get 15% off GeekWire tickets. Save yourself some money. Thursday, March 7th, 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. There's going to have zip lines, foosball, which is generally where uh, I end up at any place with a foosball table. Um, dodgeball. Is that true? 
Uh, yeah, I, I love you were it. into foosball. I'm not, and I'm really into the hockey things now too. Like the, oh, it's like foosball, yeah. but it's hockey, and they got one near my house. I saw you posting it's about strangely that. Strangely addictive. Looks really fun. It's super fun. Um, but anyway, it, this so was Geekwire Bash. So go to Geekwire Bash. Use our tickets. I'm trying to like show us off to other people and say like, look, Northwest Nerd, we have three listeners, and they'll buy tickets. <laughs> so All help me out, you three. Um, I appreciate it, but. Um, also, speaking of bingo, Bill Bingo Gates. <laughs> not a real nickname. Not a real nickname. But we'll take it. I don't know. I'm trying to go there. <laughs> um, case you were wondering, on Bill Gates' Netflix queue, Black Mirror, The Americans, Narcos, Friday Night Lights, and American Vandal. Though he does wait to watch Silicon Valley, This Is Us, and A Million Little Things with his wife, Melinda. And we know this because uh, Bill Gates did a Reddit AMA, and usually I don't care as much as what people have to say on you know like celebrities and general like that. But actually, Bill Gates had some very interesting things to say in general. He's made a lot of headlines lately, saying that people like him need to pay more taxes, mm-hmm. especially with the capital gains. Um, and then he had a bunch of just other random little thoughts about you know what makes him happy. That seems to be the theme. Of the entire AMA. Yeah, a lot of people asked him about what makes him happy. Multiple things of what makes him... So I came up with four points of what makes Bill Gates happy after reading through all this stuff. Do you want to try guessing what one of them is? Well, I read through a bunch of them already. Okay. Well, the first one is probably being a billionaire. That makes him happy. And I appreciated that he kept it real. He's very real. Hold on. Let me try to get the thing in front of me real quick. Um, And while you do that... I'll just say, like, the, the mainly with the billionaire thing, he cited, like, you know, I have kids and I don't have to worry about putting them through college and anything like that. Yeah. Uh, someone asked, do you think being a billionaire has made you a happier person than if you were just a middle class person? Bill Gates said, yes. I don't have to think about healthcare costs or college costs. Being free from worry about financial things is a real blessing. Yada, yada, yada. I just appreciate that he kept it real and yeah. wasn't like, no, happiness comes from somewhere else. Yeah, yes, money makes your life easier. Oh, he goes fully on that. Too. So one of the other points that comes out is that he uh, he admits that he lives a privileged life, that he has a big house, which includes a trampoline room, and he does have a private jet. He's mm-hmm. like, it's a guilty pleasure, but honestly, I'm, yeah, like it's Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation uses a private jet. Got to get so, to places so that I can fundraise some more for exactly. the foundation. And then, um, yeah, and then the other point was, uh, I'm not sure if this is a point, but he noted that when he was in his 30s, he didn't think people in their 60s were very smart or had much fun. Now I have a counter-revelation. Ask me in 20 years, and I will tell you how smart 80-year-olds are. <laughs> um, and same, I think that means that he's generally aging gracefully. He's like, you know, he's not as disappointed as he thought he would be. And the number one thing, topping the list, of what makes Bill Gates happy, his children. And seeing them succeed. Ah, isn't, isn't that, that nice? Gross. Isn't that nice? You went the I mean, opposite of us direction. Can relate to that, but no, we have dogs. Don't you love it when your dogs are doing well? <laughs> I do. I guess so. I, I'm not that invested when they achieve something, though. A couple other things that Bill Gates. <laughs> a couple other things that Bill Gates uh, noted on here that I thought was interesting. Um, he is an avid reader. He doesn't consider reading a hobby. He reading is just reading, like you should just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, Hacking Darwin is what he's currently uh, reading. His favorite prime number is two. And uh, for all you coders out there, he still knows enough to use TypeScript or GitHub, which I think are pretty much Microsoft plugs. They are. Um, 
Let me ask you this. Big old acquisition buying GitHub. You do a you do a bit of a coding I hear. Uh-huh. You know, sometimes. I don't I don't use TypeScript if that's what you're gonna ask. No, I'm gonna ask you uh tabs or spaces. Spaces. But here's the thing. Like this isn't even a conversation. Like just set your editor <laughs> to make your tab spaces. Is this and then you're good. Is this like the BS Oxford common debate that writers have? Yes. Like because we don't it's have anything exactly else to the, debate. Like it's it's not a debate. <laughs> like whatever your project is using, that's fine. Use that. Okay. Well, Bill uses tabs. <laughs> that, that's where he lands sure. yeah, go, on that debate. Um, no one cares. Yeah. So yeah, no, I just, I thought it was pretty, um, in, you know, I think you, you hit the nail on the head is here's a guy who's a billionaire and he's doing an AMA. He's having super fun with it. Um, and he is, you know, of course, you know, like one of these guys that brought the tech industry here to Seattle way back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, it is kind of interesting to see his thoughts on uh, business and uh, culture from his, you know, perspective of, you know, a philanth- philanthropist of sorts, you know. Yeah. Um, a real life philanthropist. Yeah. And I didn't get into like much of like the meat and bones of what he was actually dealing with like, you know, capital gains taxes and then just taxes in general. He talked about like the differences between like Europe and China doesn't have certain taxes and things like that. Um, Europe, he says, has mostly consumption taxes. He thinks that's the wrong way to go. He goes through it quite a bit, Mm -hmm. um, but he's making some headlines with it. But yeah, um, Bill Gates, in case you missed it, is happy. That's great. Great for him. Yeah. You know, I'm happy that a billionaire you can is happy. sleep tonight <laughs> yeah well, I'll, I'll sleep better knowing that bill gates is is content yeah. uh this past weekend we were at wizard world in portland mm-hmm. uh it was the first time that either of us went they were nice enough to give us media passes uh i know that you did some interviews down there and i mostly talked to people around the con and just you like, experienced it. out yeah I, ex- I experienced it man mm-hmm. what did you think you... what were your impressions you don't I, have to talk about who you interviewed yet because no, no, that's no. going to come up later on the oh, show that's, anyway. Yeah. That's a thing. I'm excited about what I did interview. This is how I described it. I've already described it to you. I apologize, but it's the best metaphor I can come up with. Hit me. Everybody in the Northwest, we have a lot of cons. Mm-hmm. Emerald City Comic Con. That's your giant music festival. Multiple days. Emerald City Comic Con. I don't know if that's like a Coachella thing, a Lollapalooza, whatever you want to pick. That's, that's Emerald City Comic Con. And down in Portland, we have Rose City Comic Con. A little bit smaller, smaller production, but an echo of that large Comic Con. It is uh, like a stadium rock show of Comic Cons, right? Wizard World is kind of like the punk show at the Crocodile in, in Seattle. And I don't mean that as a bad thing. I just think it's a, it's a way to kind of gauge your expectations because it is a much smaller con, and you get a very, very much, uh, you get quite a bit of a DIY, lower budget feel to it. Um, certain little corners that I think they're cut, and I don't know how if that has to do with the fact that in recent years, Wizard World, larger company, has had its financial problems. Everybody knows about the lawsuit they had with the founders and yep. the brother. Uh, who went on to to uh, do Ace? Um, if you want to look that up, that's yeah, all on the. We've interwebs. talked about that on the in the past as well. And so it seemed like I don't know if they're in recovery or not, but they did put together a decent show. They had the full cast of Buffy the Vampire Slayer there in Portland. They had a minus couple, Buffy, minus Buffy and Angel. Mm-hmm. Um, got a couple of those uh, actors, uh, including uh, Nicholas Brendan, does not get along with uh, 
Um, Sarah Michelle Gellar and David Boreanaz. David Boreanaz. I don't know about Sarah Michelle Gellar, but mm. he definitely does not get along with uh, with David. Yeah, great show. Certain things just seem kind of like a little bit of a miss. So, like, great that you got the cast of Buffy together, um, but they kind of had him in limited time on stage. Just went immediately into questions. Nobody really interviewed them yeah, or anything really like, like that. Like a moderator who could yeah. get everyone into the conversation and be like, "Yeah, what what have you been up to? I know yeah. that you were working on this project. What do you have to say about this question?" Right. That was asked. It was like straight people lined up at microphones and asked right. them questions for like an hour. And uh, yeah, and the the thing that I thought was kind of interesting was they have a giant ballroom. Mm-hmm. And here's the problem. Like I said this comment and immediately somebody like a row behind me said it to their friend as well. You're kind of spoiled because Rose City Comic Con is at the same exact venue, Oregon Convention Center. Mm-hmm. So you know what they are capable of there. And Wizard World did not do what was capable there. So you have a giant cast above the Vampire Slayer. You have a giant ballroom. Yeah, there are like nine people on stage. You need binoculars to even see them from the back. Huge room. Rose City will put up projectors and screens so then you're in the back you can see what's going on emerald city does this too so we know this can happen there but they didn't do it and those two cons emerald city and rose city still both read pop uh rose city's not no okay. emerald city is i there, there is some company that owns like four or five okay. comic cons that owns rose city now so there's little things like that um but you know on the other hand you know it was half the convention center so it's half the size a lot easier to walk around and uh, get a feel for. It is interesting how they uh, organize their celebrities. So usually celebrities are off in their own corner. Tell the folks, tell the folks at home, like how did they have their celebrities? I know a lot of our audience is more familiar with like the Emerald City or the Rose City model where maybe they're on a different floor um, and you have to queue up to go see them and you don't really see the celebrities like out on the floor of the convention. They're kind of tucked away because they're, they're there so that people pay to see them. Like you can't just have them out. Then why would people pay to see them? Um, at at uh, at Wizard World, instead they had booths like in the middle of the floor. And when they were there doing pictures or signing things or whatever, you could kind of just happen by and be like, "Oh, there's Allison Hannigan or Jason Momoa or Ray Fisher or whoever." They're just standing there. Ray Fisher, by the way, gigantic. He's huge. Yeah. Like. He was a couple feet away from Jason Momoa when I walked past there, and I mean, he's probably the only person in real life who could have stood next to Jason Momoa and made Jason Momoa seem kind of small or normal size. Really, it's kind of bizarre. So he was weird to see. You got to actually see Ray Fisher and Jason Momoa from just walking around the convention. Yeah, so that's the other thing. Like, if you're in the other conventions, they're off in the corner. So, or in a different building at Emerald City this year, they're going to be like two right. blocks away from the convention center. In this case, even if you didn't buy a ticket, you could just walk by the aisle and say, "Oh my gosh, there's Jason Momoa. He's twenty feet." Well, didn't away buy from a me. ticket for the. Did, didn't buy stuff. a ticket for the celebrity stuff or whatever, which is interesting because they, they could do a thing where you pay X amount of dollars depending on uh, the celebrity, and then you can get a selfie with them, or you can like mm-hmm. get like an autograph. There was really no professional photo-y type things that I saw yeah, out I in the front area. Um, I didn't get to see Jason Momoa. I didn't get to see Ray Fisher. Um, I was off doing something else, and I'm sad that I missed them. Jason um, Momoa, my, my impressions from seeing him in person – uh, very large, very nice. Um, he was yeah. on his way. Like I, I saw him, and then I was walking around. And then I saw him on his way out, and he had a handler with him. And mm-hmm. this woman approached, like, "Can I just take a selfie real quick?" And the handler was like, "Ah, he's really not supposed to do that." But Jason, like, 
waved him right. off. I was like, yeah, let's do it real quick. That was really nice. And that lady freaked out. She was like dancing Rope, after, yeah. after the after the selfie and like showing it to her friend. She was like practically crying. Yeah. Really made her con. Like what a, what a cool moment. And that's the thing is that once they're done with the celebrity area, they really are just, there's no really back area. They're just walking through the con. Like, I, you know, Amber Benson was there and she was, you know, done doing her signature. She just walked out yeah. and, you know, she plays Tara on. I saw Buffy Harry Hamlin Vampire on his Slayer. way in. He like still had his luggage and everything. Harry Hamlin right. from like uh, like Clash of the Titans, the original one. Yeah, um, walk right past him, and he like had his bags and everything. He was just kind of like looking around, like he didn't really know where to go. Yeah, but like I couldn't offer any help, so I didn't say anything. It was funny. Um, uh, in the middle of the Buffy panel, uh, Nicholas Brendan uh, left the room, and he goes outside, and I got. Um, a message from Joel from SD mm-hmm. who does the YouTube videos of cons as a little con roundup uh, and he gives me a message he goes I just told Nicholas Brennan where the bathroom was <laughs> and then he that's sent awesome. me a photo of like Nicholas Brennan going back in the room and I'm all like oh that's great oh, um, cool. but yeah no definitely it was interesting I think Allison Hannigan was definitely like a standout um, Charisma Carpenter uh, James Marsters they had some like the long time Buffy um, cast that was there, and it was pretty cool to kind of see them yeah. all in the same place. And I think James Marshall's on Runaways now, so like they're still yeah. doing stuff. Yeah, and I think he does voice stuff as well. So I guess like in the end, I, I should I, we mention Kato Kalin? Yeah, how can we not? <laughs> we have to, right? It's the first thing you see when you come in. So, um, will you explain for our audience who Kato Kalin okay, is? Okay, so I know Kato Kalin because he was a pivotal witness in the O.J. Simpson That's trial in the nineties. Okay. Well, apparently people know him now because he was on this show called Big Brother, which I do not watch, nor do I ever care to watch. Yeah. And apparently I have a friend that was telling me this weekend that not only did they watch the show, there was some sort of like live 24-7 stream that you can watch them when they weren't airing the show. Mm-hmm. So uh, he was just on it. Apparently him and Tom Green are best buds now. And sure. uh, yeah, so then he went immediately from that to hosting this uh, this event in Portland and like hosting a bunch of different stuff. Hosting yeah. it, you know, and, and the thing is, he wasn't just a witness in a trial. He was an actor in Hollywood at the time, and um, yeah, he was I think, living in OJ's guest house. When exactly, the murders happened, and then he uh, he did some like B movies and things like that ever since. Like his name was known because mm-hmm. of that trial, and he kind of had this Brad Pitt look thing going on in the nineties. I mean, that was kind of the vibe he had. And so you walk in there, and Cato Kalin's there doing karaoke right at the very front door. Yeah. There's a stage uh, like right in front of the entrance. Exactly. Or he's doing a he's doing a, a like the children's cosplay contest or something like that. Yeah, that was pretty funny. It was you know hosted by Cato Kalin, and I gotta say, it's a very lightly attended con. Didn't see a lot of cosplay in general. There was cosplay there, just mm-hmm. not a lot like you'd see at a Comic Con. And it was lightly, like, when he was in his off time, you could see him at his booth. He was, you know, scrolling through his phone, and, you know, he was there doing his thing. But when he was supposed to be on, he 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 mustered up the energy, and he was, and he was all, on. He was he was totally up for karaoke and everything. He was funny. He was engaging. So funny. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was actually kind of interesting. The thing is, you don't expect this, but I came away kind of liking Cato Kalin quite a bit. <laughs> just respecting the hustle? Just, just respecting the guy quite a bit. Um, other than that, uh, I will say like kind of little standouts uh, from there was um, the Unipiper got stopped by his booth quite a bit. He, You know, he's the Unipiper. He's he's a guy that his whole mission is keeping Portland weir- weird. 
And so not a lot to sell there. So we brought some friends in that do like creative crafts that did some amazing stuff and they kind of shared a booth. Um, I will say this, never been to a convention where I've had to pay for a panel. And I thought that was a little yeah, weird. this was strange. I did pay for one. Mm-hmm. And it was the best panel that I've ever been to at a convention. Hmm. Um, it was called Creator You. It was uh, put on by a cosplayer called Oh My Sophie with two eyes. And um, uh, Oh My Sophie is uh, was, in once upon a time in her life, uh, a social media marketer or just a marketer in general with an emphasis on online engagement. And she uh, now does that uh, professionally as a cosplayer and a consultant, and she works with folks in the geek niche. Usually when you go to panels and someone says, like, learn how to be a publisher or or we've gone to podcasting ones or like learn how to do podcasting and you go there and there's like really nothing but them just kind of yammering on and on forever about like you know I just told myself I can do it and then I did and then I happened and that's yeah. really what they do or it's somebody yeah, trying to hawk their own product and they just hosted a panel mm-hmm. so that you can Learn how to do publishing. You can learn more about this in my book. Right. Or you just learn about publishing because I just self-published this book and you should go buy it type thing. Yeah. Um, and, and no offense, there's there's some good tidbits in there. Every single thing in this panel, and obviously I went there because we have a podcast and I want to learn more about how to get that out there. Um, best panel I think I've ever been to. And, um, it, you know, the con itself was sparsely attended. So I think her panel was sparsely attended too. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the future, she tours these around. So if you get a chance, check out the Creator You. And she also has a little online business thing too. So you can take this online to a much greater extent. I think that maxes out all my notes and thoughts on on Wizard World. Yeah, I like I it. Agree. Just I, know what to expect. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. It's a little. Yeah, I think we said it. <laughs> speaking of uh, speaking of Comic Cons though, uh, Emerald City Comic Con is coming up, mm-hmm. and we're gonna have a photo contest. For people that are at the con. And as part of that, we're actually still looking for some volunteers. So really quickly, would you please... Yeah, I uh, forgot about this. One, explain what we're going to do here with with the contest. And then two, give me me that call to action. What do we need people to do? So uh, full details are forthcoming. You will find them on social media. I will make a Facebook event. But here's the basic... uh, Here's the gist of it. I'm going to have some capes that have our Northwest Nerd logo on it. And you could also see like a shirt. I might hand out some temporary tattoos, but the capes are the main thing. Mm-hmm. So you see a cape with the Northwest Nerd logo on it. You see Nick with his Northwest Nerd shirt on with the logo. Take a photo with the cape. All right. Whoever's wearing it. I have some friends. We have some days lined up. They're going to do it. Some, someone's even going to wear it after, at an after party. So take a photo with that. And you're going to go on your social media, whatever you prefer. Some folks do Instagram. Some folks do Twitter. Some folks do Facebook. You're going to tag us in that photo. You're going to tag us in that photo. And then you're going to tag Emerald City Comic Con 2019. That's all you got to do. Tag mm-hmm. us. Tag Emerald City. And you're going to get put in a drawing. And I'm going to have some sponsored prizes. When we have done after parties, which we're not doing this year, but when we've done after parties for Emerald City Comic Con in the past, I get some sponsored prizes. That's the same kind of deal. I might be making them geared more towards cosplayers. I don't know. Um, But when that happens, see the cape, take a photo, tag us, tag Emerald City, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, show your Northwest Nerd pride. Or just do it because you want some prizes in general. (laughs) Just do it for the prizes. Yeah, who cares? Most It's like, you know, 
you might not like the cereal, but you want the prize at the bottom. So that's that's this kind of mentality here. And all you have to do is take a photo. But subscribe to the cereal too. Yeah. But yeah, subscribe to the cereal and subscribe to our <laughs> podcast. We are the cereal. Um, the the end of that, that very podcast. long, the end of that very long uh, explanation was: I think I need a couple days more of folks to wear a cape. So, if you are willing to help me out and wear a cape for a day at Comic Con, uh, contact us. Contact you can contact us through our website or through social, and just mm-hmm. let us know. Hey. I'll wear a cape on, you know, a uh, Saturday or a Sunday or a Friday or something. Yeah. And if you're not sure how to find any of those, as Dyer almost knocks down his yeah. microphone, uh, just, I mean, you can Google NW Nerd Podcast or yeah. search for that on any of your Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. We're pretty findable. Let's get into your uh, feature for the week. I really enjoyed this one. The Anti-Defamation League. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that they had hackathons because... When I think Anti-Defamation League, I don't necessarily think Hackathon, right. but that's exactly what they did with this game jam. And uh, I won't give anything else away because you do a beautiful job of telling it anyway. I think like any medium, video games have the, you know, the ability to, to be used as a tool. And I think the goal is to see how can we use games in order to you know, teach empathy. This is Navid Madavian. He is a teacher and a cartoonist, and he's also a volunteer with the Anti-Defamation League in Seattle, working with other teachers to address bullying or bias. Well, I think like online communities, one of the great things about them is you can find people that think a lot like you, but it can end up being pretty insular where you are associating with people only, like the type of people who think the same things as you. um, And... I think that video games, you have an opportunity to go outside of that, right? I mean, like, you pick up any game and there's going to be a character who may not look like you, who may have had different experiences than you. Um, And so even if you are living in some, you know, small community or a part of some insular community online, video games have give you the opportunity to sort of go outside of that. Last fall, over a weekend, Navid was helping out at a game jam in Renton. It was actually being held at the offices for Wizards of the Coast, you know, the company behind Dungeons & Dragons and Magic the Gathering. And if you don't know what a game jam is, that's okay. I'm going to explain that in just a second. But what's important to know is that this group of people who did not know each other gave up one weekend for the purpose of combating hate through games. People like Reagan Maholland. Uh, this is what I do for fun. <laughs> um, I've always wanted to make games, but never thought I could do the coding aspect of it. So I started to learn coding. And I'm one of those people that sees like the disparity in who's represented in games and wanted to kind of bring more of the representation of people like me or people who are not like me into games. So I wanted to learn how to make games so that I could make more inclusive games. Just a quick background on the Anti-Defamation League here. It was started over 100 years ago with the purpose of fighting anti-Semitism in America, and it has since grown to fight against all hate and for the inclusion of everybody. The Game Jam is just a little bit more of a modern approach 
to that mission. All right, so the game jam thing. Here's the thing to understand. They can be intense. It's like the Thunderdome. Many enter, one game leaves. Actually, maybe two or three games. But the point is, a group of people lock themselves in a room for 48 hours or so, and they do nothing but design and craft and test and build a new game together. I am a big believer in them as tools to both create interesting novel games and game concepts, as well as ways for people to get experience making games that they couldn't otherwise necessarily get. This is Ket. I volunteer with the local Seattle Indies uh, nonprofit. Like a, a small indie game can easily take you like a year, 18 months, two years to go from start to finish. Uh, with this game jam, in 48 hours, you're going to be done one way or another. So it forces you to interact with it in a different way. And once you're done, you probably have a finished game that you can put on your portfolio, they can show off, they can share with people. So in past game jams, I've made some truly ugly art. I've made funny noises into microphones. I've scrounged around for free assets. I've done some really bad writing, which I'm not proud of. Like, all of these things are, will teach you so much about the process of making a game and working as a team. So I, I think everyone should make games or try to make games. So you don't need anything other than desire. Okay, so this game jam for the ADL had a very particular purpose. Design a game exploring the theme of identity, dealing with empathy and focusing on hot button issues in real life, but through a game. This is my first game jam, and uh, I had my reservations coming into it because something, an issue like identity. You have a bunch of people coming together who may not know one another, who are trying to tackle a hot button issue like that. It's hard to know what will come out of it, but everything that I've seen from the experience, I mean, it seems like it's been positive and it allows you to explore issues around things like race without sort of hitting you over the head. Uh, and, you know, one of the issues that we struggled with was how to deal with things like stereotypes. So if you are talking about people in the real world, you run the risk of sort of reinforcing stereotypes. So dealing with it in uh, the context of a fantasy allows you to address those complex issues uh, without having to necessarily have characters who are Jewish or black or white. So game jams are actually pretty common in the Seattle area and in other cities too. A group called Seattle Indies organizes quite a few, such as the event for the ADL, along with other meetups for just about anybody interested in video games. This is Tim Cullings. He's with Seattle Indies. People that may or may not know each other uh, come out to try to create a game, either a video game, board game, whatever type of game, based on a theme that in most cases is kept secret until the jam starts and some uh, it's revealed beforehand. Game jams are for anyone. Coders, designers, writers, musicians, and sound engineers. Or you can have no connection to the game industry but maybe you just have a keen interest in games. Like this guy I met at the event, Bry Hunter. I have a background in business and especially relationship management. Uh, this is my first game jam. Uh, I've been a lifelong gamer and been wanting to break into the game industry, so I figure this is a good place to sort of see how things mash out and try and uh, learn as much as I can. 
I'm a member of the LGBTQ community myself, so I actually felt like as a gamer uh, that's not always commonly represented in the normally heterosexual white male game industry, I might have certain perspectives that other players might not have. Or Daniel Huang and Steven Spilios, who didn't know each other before this game jam, but both are composers for films and games. I thought it'd just be fun uh, to get... Uh, introduced to that world of game development on the music side, from, at least for me. And uh, the ADL seems like a cool organization, and this was the weekend that they did the game jam. So, I love that the response. Basically the same thing. I came here to, uh, to network and to meet like-minded people. If you didn't know, about 80% of the people that are in there, this is their first game jam. So that kind of tells you... Uh, what everyone's here to do, kind of get their feet wet. In fact, some people don't even have any experience in, in gaming at all, and they're wanting to get into it, and this is a great opportunity for them to do so. This event was the second annual game jam for the ADL, and as such, it was a bit different than the usual variety. First of all, folks were able to leave and get some sleep, but like I said, the ultimate goal wasn't just to create a game. It was to explore identity. After they created their games, they had one week to fine-tune it. The completed works were then uploaded to the ADL's website, along with a few other teams across the country who were doing the exact same thing over that weekend. There will be a sort of judging that happens, and a handful will be featured at the ADL's conference the following May. The first year they did this, a team from Austin, Texas won with an anti-bullying game. I was in my bed last night brainstorming ideas for the game I was working on um, because I just kept thinking about it and trying to improve on it. Um, But I think most of the other venues and the people who are doing it online probably got no sleep last night. And typically game jams are, you know, 48 hours straight of just constantly working on it so that you can come up with a product at the end. This is Sonia Wolfram. She's with another gaming group, Seattle Serious and Social Impact Games. And she was another participant last fall. She produced a board game. Um, So the original idea came from uh, um, an article I read that mentioned uh, something called symbolic annihilation. Like what happens if the media coverage doesn't include you what what's what does that mechanic look like and how does that make you feel um so the game that i came up with is essentially you have three different um you have three different cultures each of them is a color red blue and yellow and um the goal is is a it's it's a cooperative game that forces you to think about society as a whole and you want to assimilate and help each other out and sort of bleed into the cultures and you know the cuisine the habitat and um if you guys get into a detriment then it's really really hard to recover so um i'm still kind of balancing it out but it's really interesting some of the conversations that have come up from that sonia's tabletop game was one of three that were produced that weekend the other two were video games. Daniel, one of the composers, explained the game that he worked on. The name of our game is Temporarily Doors. Well, you are a cube and you're a certain color, and there are other cubes around, and they're different colors, and they have different letters assigned to them, at least letters for now. Um, And there are also different doors that you can go through that are also different colors and have different objects assigned to them. The idea is that you have to get a certain number of um, objects and be a certain color to go through these doors. And it's kind of more open-worldly, like you can uh, decide to go through one door or the other. 
But if you go through one door, you can't go through the other door. And so I think the idea that we're trying to present for identity is not really a right or wrong. It's just when you surround yourself with people and you interact with different people, you rub off on each other. And so they become a certain, the blend of you, your color and their color, and that you become more like each other. And life has different paths, lift different doors, and the things that you collect along the way, the people that you bump into and re meet up with, they affect which doors you can go through. And you can go through a different door, you just have to take a different route and it will take you longer to go through that door. So that's just the idea of the, of the game. And this is Reagan and Bry again, explaining their video game, which was titled Action, Danger, Legend. Sounds pretty epic. And they borrowed the initials from ADL to come up with it. We've been trying to uh, create a game that basically can create a sense of empathy in the player, of frustration for not being able to self-express in the way that they want. You know how like when you, when you create a character for an RPG, like you have all your stats and you try and make it how you want it to be? Um, our game is takes you to that character screen but there's a narrator that wants you to be a certain way. We've been trying to create obstacles and uh, limit what the gamer can actually do with trying to generate a character that they've been led to believe is leading to a really, really, really spectacular journey. And the roadblock here is just this character creation screen that they just cannot get past. We have this huge prologue that's like lavish and it's about the adventure you're going to have. And all it really is, is you trying to fight the narrator to make your own character. And then it ends. <laughs> Over this weekend, and over the week making edits and updates, eight locations across the United States produced 25 games. The top performing games will be showcased in May. And no matter what the premise is or their plot, all of these games fight hate. I think all of us want generally the world to be a better place. And however we uh, think that should be achieved, I feel like the ADL has brought us together because of their mission and something that we can get behind. It started off as a Jewish organization to um, fight anti-Semitism, and it has since then expanded to um, just fighting hate in general, broadly. And that's something I can get behind, and I think a lot of people in there can get behind too. That's all we got for this week. If you like what you hear, don't forget to follow us on social media so you can keep up with everything Northwest Nerd. You can find us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram or find links to all of those on our website, nw-nerd.com. Shout out to Kevin McLeod for the music in Dyer's piece this week. Also, big thank yous to the Hoot Hoots for our theme music all season three. If you want to help out the show, go check out our Patreon or give us a rating and review on iTunes. Uh, five stars, please. Helps other people find the show. And with that, we'll see you next week, nerds. Nerds.